What if what if we paid for some advertising pop-ups, old school style? Like you're surfing the internet random, boom. Three dogs. Congratulations, you're the one millionth visitor of this site. You yep. can get to you can get a free download yep. of Three Dogs North. Yep. And then mm-hmm. like click yes, we could put like money like a picture of money. Yeah, you get and, a bunch and of money. Like, clicking no, it could be like us giving the finger. <laughs> <laughs> But either either way, whatever they click, they go to the they, website. Yeah, no, you the got same it. <laughs> right, yeah. Both buttons yeah. do the same thing. I like the buttons that are like, um, you know, would, do you want to like have your mind blown with the most amazing podcast in the history of the universe? And then one button is like, yes, please. I want my life to be awesome. And then the no button is, no, thanks. I'd rather keep living a life of misery. <laughs> But then I also like the innovation of both buttons make you go to our website. Yeah, no, just have the exact same thing. <laughs> Either way. The yeah, trick just is people, they would would, to... people would love it if we just popped up constantly, no matter what website. If it was like a virus mm-hmm. and it just continued to pop up. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. This is the guerrilla marketing campaign we've been waiting for. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. Dude, you're supposed to keep going. I was going to play off of you. Yeah, you were messing it up, though. What? You gotta let it get really conflated and confusing. All right, let's do it. Where you at, dude? I was listening. I was enjoying that. That was very good. Thanks, man. You rocked it. Pretty much uh, when I resolve not to listen to music in the car, that's what I do. So it's kind of a wash. Yeah, same. I have found that I can't beatbox with my mouth and hit a rhythm on my desk at the same time or like in in harmony. You can't do that? No. I can. <laughs> you, yeah, can't, you can't do either one, Rob, <laughs> independently. What? I can hit a desk. <laughs> I can absolutely do that. Oh, man, you guys are leaving soon. Friday mm-hmm. AM Pretty stoked I'm gonna miss That's... you Even though I never see you anyway True That is true But I'll miss you guys Yeah, no, I'm sad for you mm-hmm. How much you're gonna miss us <laughs> Yeah That would suck If I was leaving And I was my friend <laughs> I would That would be very sad for them Huge bummer mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you guys um, make an effort Not to m- Fiddle a lot with your microphone cords because that all that all comes through on the track. Not to not to be a downer, but it's asking a lot. Yeah, I can I can try. I'm a fidgety guy though, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard what, that. What are you gonna miss about us? Um. Well, actually, that's a good question. I don't think I am gonna miss you. There's nothing I can really come up with specifically. Hmm. Fight back tears. Your your musk. <laughs> I miss your musk. Uh, I accept. I miss being with you. 
-hmm. Hey, champ, why don't we stop talking for a while? You guys not get, <laughs> you not get that reference? No, no. Anchor. <laughs> You're not Anchorman, guys? Isn't uh, Paul Porter, like, obsessed with that movie? Yeah, that is a huge portion of his repertoire. <laughs> but I haven't seen... I've seen the movie, I think, maybe twice ever, and I didn't like it either time. Yeah, it's and, not particularly funny. And so... I just associate, honestly, I just assume things that Paul says are from Anchorman. Yeah. But that's not one that he says very much. So that's why I didn't get it. I feel like everybody's got a friend who quotes Anchorman a lot. I had one in college who was just constant. Everything that came out of his mouth was basically a quote from Anchorman. There, there is the second. I think we watched it on the cam one night, maybe a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. And... I was surprised how many of those quotes are like in our generation's lingo, I guess. Did you it, hear Anthony Rizzo during the uh, game seven? He was talking to David Ross in the dugout and they had him on, you know, like wired up. Mm -hmm. And he's telling David Ross, I'm in a glass case of emotions, man. <laughs> That's a direct quote from Will Ferrell in that movie. I do. I do remember that. Oh. I do. Of course, Ross is just sitting there being the veteran. Yeah, probably doesn't even know also the doesn't understand the reference. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> he's out of the out, outside the generation. But there's two guys here on the cam who either think that they are Will Ferrell and Angerman, Ron Burgundy, or at least that's how they interpret their life experiences through. It's a worldview. Yes, it is very much a worldview uh, that they're kind of a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, one guy has leather-bound books with nothing in them. He just has them to say that. Mm -hmm. Rich mahogany bookshelves. What do you do for New Year's, dude? You get crazy. Got crazy mm -hmm. asleep before midnight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that holiday doesn't kind of like Anchorman. New Year's Eve doesn't translate well into priesthood. Hmm. It's at some point it's just kind of like yeah, well that's nice, but it's not for me. It was never it was never a big holiday like for us really growing we play like might play card games or something and stay up but even like in college I did not care about it and well, past, it, part of it is in college that. you're on break so you're not with your buddies you're well that's you're home. true I mean you got high school buddies but it's not the same yeah why do you stay up so late when you're in college that is a freaking question dude it's because, because there you isn't... sleep till noon. Yeah, there isn't anything that like schedules your day. It's a vicious cycle. Uh, so it doesn't. You don't have to wake up for anything. Yeah, eh. it's, it doesn't make any sense. No, I did. I mean, yeah. I did it. I, yeah, even thinking I back on it, it's like I don't understand it. Yeah, like going to bed one, two in the morning every night. No, we used to. At least when I was in high school, we had a family that hosted this big New Year's Eve party, and it's bowl season, and so they have like tons of games on that day. But then there was always a Red Bull challenge. I don't know if, if y'all ever watched those. No. And they oh, would where have they try food. to fly those uh, those devices that they make. Oh, but that is cool. And actually, one of my brother's roommates <laughs> won a chariot race that they did at the University of Georgia, sponsored by Red Bull. So he came out dressed out as a gladiator and had like a little chariot. <laughs> but they would have a dude. I don't know. I think one year he jumped a football field on a dirt bike or something like that. Hmm. Or in like a sports mini car. And so we would always watch those. But this year I stayed up with my family and the news coverage for New Year's Eve was so bad. We oh, we oh, almost had to terrible. turn it off. Yeah. There's just like concerts and 
celebrities talking about it. It's only two hours, but let's look at a urine review of what happened in 2016 again, shall we? We were relying on Fox to, honestly, to just have a channel that had clothed women on them. Mm. <laughs> and so that we could kind of watch as a family, you know, whoever was awake. Um, and for some reason, Fox News, no joke, had a correspondent in South Beach, in a <laughs> South Beach bar, interviewing people who were clearly very intoxicated. Ugh. It was... It was actually really funny to watch that, but I see an in here. I I would say go for it. Yeah, 2018, Three Dogs North brings it in live podcast. Whoa, oh. yeah, that's a great idea. I we have go, nearly a year to prepare for it too. Yeah, we could come up. I mean, I would think about it for it'd be tens of minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, in that time. Yes, yeah, like no, what we were going to talk about and how we do it. Mm-hmm. Well, Where I, we'd be. I say we make it official that we'll think about doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so let's see fan reaction. You, you heard it here first. That We're thinking cool. about it. We are thinking about doing a 2018 New Year's. we got to think of not rocking. New Year's. Ball and uh, Eve. Ball and Eve with Three Dogs North, dude. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, let's start with the prayer. Shall we? I'll kick it off. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? So, how have you guys been? <laughs> we'll just, I'll let you take this one, Father. Uh-huh. I'm going to take the humble position and have a back seat on this one. All right. I got a kind of a cool... Not much of a story, but um, a little thing that happened. So I started this program for the youth group um, called Alpha. Now it's not—I didn't start Alpha, but Alpha is this kind of internationally used program to um, sort of spark discussions of young and old. It's not just geared towards youth; it's kind of for any parish or school or. Um, even like small groups in homes can gather and watch these videos and sort of have discussions about basic questions about the faith. And so it's meant to be kind of teaching where you watch the video and then open discussion where any line of thought or any question or doubt is entertained, you know. And so the discussion leader is not meant to really teach. He or she is just kind of meant to keep the conversation rolling. So it's it's a nice kind of control for me because usually I've been doing this Bible study with the teenagers and usually all it is is me just hammering some point home and they're just st- sitting there not talking. <laughs> and I'm just like, don't you guys get it? Come on, isn't this exciting to you? So I needed I needed some some way to sort of temper that. That's but, always a good way to get people excited is tell them how exciting something is. <laughs> no, this is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the indication that you're failing when you have to tell people to be excited. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, the Seek Conference. Did you watch any of those videos from the Seek Conference yet? No. The focus? Yeah, I didn't know they had any. Yeah, they put them up on Facebook and I don't know if it, on the Focus website or whatever. But I watched Father Mike Schmitz, of course. He was very good. Nice. Um, Did you go? No, I wish I had gone. Yeah. The Oh Hellos played. Ooh. But, did we ever hear back from them? No, we didn't. But I did Ugh. hear from Father Nick Blaha that they didn't play any of their Christmas music. 
Hmm. Even though it was part of their Christmas extravaganza tour. Hmm. So he was very disappointed. Anyways. Mm. Mm. Was Father Nick Blaha there? He was, yeah. He's a he's a Newman chaplain, not an official Newman oh, center, yeah. but he's at a campus ministry huh. place. Nice. So he brought a group of college kids. Anyways, um, speaking of enthusiastic or pe- speakers that get you excited without having to tell you, get excited. But anyways, uh, we started this alpha program on Friday, and I advertised it on Facebook and on the website and told the youth group, you know, come on out. And So we had a good showing, maybe 40, 45 kids, and I divided them up into high school and middle school for the discussions, and we, we'd get together to watch these little videos. Um, and one of the first questions was, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And there were some good, I was sitting with the high school kids and there were some good responses. I can't remember all of them, but the one that really struck me was this girl is probably a sophomore in high school. And she sort of self-consciously said, I think I I would ask kind of a weird question. Um, I would ask him to give me a hug because then you wouldn't, that would be something you'd never forget if God gave you a hug. Hmm. Whereas if you just ask him like, what's going to happen in 10 years that's just that's all you get is the answer. And I thought, wow, that's really I never would have thought because of the phrasing of the question. If you could ask him a question, it sort of sounds like information, you know. But that's more of a request. Uh, like in Spanish, to ask a question is preguntar. But to ask as an ask for something is pedir, like request. So it was kind of an interesting thing in English where it could mean either one. And she asked really what i thought about later was she asked for a religious experience you know rather than just information for your mind like an actual experience of the heart of god himself and i thought that's also what i want that it was the best response i've ever heard to that question because i've asked it at the beginning of rcia and and even like marriage prep or baptism prep to just sort of spark a conversation Hmm. um but I thought that was a darn good answer. Your thoughts? Have you ever asked God for a hug? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I actually have asked him for that, but what I've found is, and this is just speaking from my experience in prayer, um, is that almost all of my encounters with the persons of God um, have been in some way, like there's physical contact involved. And actually, uh, today we celebrated the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, which I don't really understand how the Epiphany and the Baptism of the Lord all go together and are celebrated in the liturgical calendar. I don't know if you can shed any light on that. but Me neither. I have no idea. It's kind of confusing, but we celebrated that today. Even though I know, I, but I don't want to say. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let one of you guys figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the really the first big like Lexio Divina experiences of Christ that I had and and have gone back to. And it was it was in the form of a hug. Um, and then a lot of the times when I pray with the Father, He's just holding me and hugging me. Um, and so the, the idea of physical affection, um, which it makes sense why theology of the body is resonates so deeply with me. Um, 
is yeah, just that form of communication of love through like one body to another in the in the form of a hug that speaks very deeply to me. So it's also no surprise that one of my five one of the love languages that I use is physical affection. Um, and so I'm actually waiting for asking God for an experience of the Holy Spirit of like more of a physical nature that I can pray with and um, something that resonates with me because that's certainly how I do receive love as well. That's like a very clear experience of it for me. So the baptism of the Jordan, the image is just very simple. Um, Jesus submerges and is submerged into the the Jordan and I'm just down there with him and he just kind of gives me a hug down there because it's, I don't know, when in prayer it was just, it's very dark underwater and uh, kind of in that darkness, I can't really see him, but I do feel him and experience him in that way. Um, so we kind of submerge, emerge together. Um, but yeah, it's been something very powerful and very, very tangible as well, which I'm grateful that God gave me that experience so that I can go back to in such a concrete way. Um, yeah, so that's actually been like one of my huge graces in prayer that I go back to is that moment of intimacy um, with Christ specifically there. Yeah, and that, I mean, it was interesting as a sophomore in high school that she was able to intuit that a religious experience is just what you said, something you could go back to over and over and over again. It would be something kind of more permanent than just bare information. Um, because, well, God knows everything, so he could tell, you know, what, what one question would you ask him so that you could, you know, understand the mystery or know something deep that you wouldn't be able to know just with your limited human knowledge? And she's just like, well, I'd rather have a hug because that that kind of intimacy or communion or experience is not forgotten or it continues to be, I don't want to say useful, but yeah, useful spiritually for a long time. And I think we all have, hopefully, some kind of experience that, well, I, I think that every, I, I can't personally imagine coming to faith and like be willing to sacrifice any sort of pleasure or good for the sake of the kingdom if you hadn't had some experience of a joy or peace deeper than what normal uh, sort of natural goods can give you. Some people say like they came to faith completely intellectually. You know, it was like this is this just made sense. It answered questions mm. about the cosmos and and reason that that pure scientific materialism couldn't couldn't answer but i mean for me the first experience was confession as a teenager and and feeling forgiven and feeling reconciled uh and you're just like wow this is a peace or a, a a warm fuzzy i've never had anywhere else and so it led me to look more into it and i, I was more kind of intellectually um motivated than feelings motivated but that was just because of my personality and i've since sort of developed more into the the feelings or at least like understood the validity of feelings i, I think that a lot of temptation in catholicism is to sort of downplay emotions because they're so fickle um and say you know we we stand on the rock of the truth and and tradition and reason and faith and reason and all that Whereas like people, happiness, I, I've just come to the conclusion that happiness, which is what everybody's after, which even Thomas Aquinas, the king of the intellect, 
says is the object of human life, it's a feeling, not a thought. Um, you know, it has to be in accord with reason. Otherwise, it's not true happiness. Like if it's just some kind of fake counterfeit uh, happiness, it won't really satisfy. But it ultimately is is a state of the heart, not of the mind. And so we all, that's what heaven is, is a religious experience that never ends. It's a eternal hug, if you want to sound corny, but that's what it is. C.S. Lewis said that. Didn't he say that in was that The Weight of Glory? Where he's talking about how if heaven is just God telling us, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's like, that seems kind of lame. But then when I really think about it, one of the greatest feelings in the world is having someone you really uh, require or desire validation from telling you good job. Like a father telling his son, you did well, Hmm. is one of the deepest consolations that anyone could ever experience. Imagine that ramped up to infinity where God the Father, who really, really knows you, who looks at your whole life and says, you did well, come and share your master's joy. There is nothing he can imagine better than that. So, Yeah, the only thing I thought of, um, I really like that story about that that girl's answer because honestly if I got asked that question on the spot and I'm guessing this would be most people like what I would ask God would generally either be if I'm being honest an avoidance of suffering or like yeah some type of like knowledge or like wanting to know or wanting to be removed from something but the only thing, and I can't, I think I got, we've talked about this a little bit in the podcast before, but I think it was in the um, biography that I've just been like very slowly reading through of Therese called The Hidden Face. And they talk about how this, this lady, I think she's a psychologist that wrote the book, and she said, she's describing something in Therese's childhood, but she points out like, it's a very common mistake, especially in Catholicism, is to think sainthood is just the culmination of all these virtues. And I was like, man, I, and I don't know. So it's, it's a little bit of a stretch, but that's what cute, even like your grace, Mike, which was very beautiful, is exactly like so grounded in experience and even so grounded in the subjective of like your experience. Um, which doesn't make it not real. That, that I'm not. I don't have the right words to describe it. But, um, but it's just a very intimate thing. And I remember that being her point: is like human beings cannot. One single human being cannot be as smart as Aquinas and as zealous as Paul and as charming as Therese and as like you know as fearless as JP two and. That's not in the capacity of a human being, whereas a saint is just someone who is themselves, which I think like enters into it way better with that girl's answer than yeah anything I would have thought of for that question. I don't know. That was a stretch, but that was just what I was like ruminating when you guys were talking. Yeah, and something that I really like about it, which I just think of earlier, we had Father Bema. He gave this little intro to Islam. Um, in preparation for our Holy Land pilgrimage. And he talked about uh, one of the differences between Islam is 
um, in Christianity is that the idea of union with God, although it, it seems like in some points they say that like God will be the culmination of all things and will um, eventually take all things into himself. Um, like the idea with us becoming one with Allah is just not not a thing for them, which is basically the goal of our life as Christians is to become incorporated into God, to become one with him. And that's experienced uniquely within the incarnation, which is such a unique Christian principle that we have a person that we can have intimacy with and come in contact with um, and to have that religious experience with not just like a, a God who is far removed from us, but obviously the like the person of Christ, um, which is manifested manifested in a material reality who is like made flesh here on earth. Um, so just the beauty and the uniqueness of the Christian to like have that experience that Ideas are awesome, and the intellect is obviously a gift that's not devoid of the material, but it's different to have a thought of something than to like experience it in the flesh, how real that becomes, where it's so real that you can't deny it. Um, like my prayer, I didn't, in one sense, I really did, was like embracing Jesus. And in another sense, like I was alone in a chapel by myself. Um, and so the idea of it wasn't enough and like I was actually able to have a very real experience of that embrace between Christ and I, that is such a, I mean, that's such a, a tangible, tangible blessing that, yeah, like you said, we're able to go back to, can be a rock and a source of, of other graces. Um, Here's but just what do you, for you. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Just, I, we've gotten emails from at least one I can think of, I think a few people that have said basically like, I want to have an experience like the ones you guys describe of God. Uh, and I believe it's possible, but I just don't know how to do it or, or what it's like. You get what I'm saying? Like, how do you, and I've had moments in my life where it's almost like amnesia, you know, like I know that I've had experiences of God but then you can sort of settle into a routine that is, I, I notice patterns in myself of kind of self-justification where as long as I'm doing this or that, then I'm okay with God. And if I do that, then I'm not, then I need to go to confession. And so, you know, you settle into this sort of like Catholic arithmetic of state of grace and, and whatnot, which is good as a, as kind of a baseline to tell you that you are, you know, you're, you're in sanctifying grace and, and there's nothing sort of in the way between you and God, but that it's not enough to really, I mean, set you on fire to really like love God, to want to be one with him. You know, it's, it's so much easier in desolation to just sort of settle for less because it's harder to imagine what that's like, you know? And so what, what would you say to somebody who's just never had it or, or feels like they're just spinning their wheels and, they know that it's right to obey the commandments and to try their best and to be good Catholics, but they hear three guys talking on a podcast about, you know, God gave me a hug, and they're just like, well, I believe it, but 
what if I want that? How do I get that? Whew. You have to pay a lot of money. <laughs> and then you can just control God. Mm-hmm. And he'll yep. do whatever we ask the him. The Pope has the uh, the deposit of all of the merits of the saints, and you just have to pay him money, and he'll give you some. <laughs> right. My only thought, and I... Dude, I hate giving advice so much, especially in the podcast setting. But if I was going to try to answer that question, and this is a total like subjective from my experience, would just be um, at least like a huge turning point in like I know I don't know that I ever articulated that question, but I certainly felt that question yeah. a lot. Yeah. And um, you mean in your own life? In my own life, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And I mean, years ago, like that was certainly, um, and we, we've talked about it on the podcast, I think oftentimes, especially, I, I don't know, this was my experience, I think this is maybe not the absolute norm, but pretty typical of like um, conversions, like at college age of, yeah, I, I got really into apologetics and like the truth of the faith and um, like learning all of these teachings and and it did. It started to make sense, and it, it was beautiful. Um, but that same thing, like if I would have heard that notion of God giving you a hug, you know, when I was a junior in college, I would have thought it was ridiculous. Corny. I mean, yeah. No, I would have. I would have. You know, um, I would have literally laughed that, laughed that off. And, um, but I guess uh, I would have said. Know. I would have said that's exactly the problem with the church right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Is that everybody's sitting around just waiting for hugs from God instead of doing we just, something. We just want a hug from God, dude. Get <laughs> over it. Yeah. Um, it's about the cross. It's about the yeah. truth. Truth will set you free. Amen. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, I do remember I was at a talk sometime. I don't even know, but it, this isn't what I was initially going to say, but it just rocked my so- socks off when they were talking about the truth will set you free. And the guy, whoever was given the talk, um, was pretty much just railing on that notion of like, um, just kind of like blind, like, uh, very like amateur type, immature like type um, apologetics or doctrinal stuff or whatever. And it was like, the, the notion of the truth will set you free is not, like, that's about a person. That's a capital T truth. It's not about like, anything on paper and I, I just remember that hitting me like very much of like oh like I don't know what that means I remember the first time I thought that was like I don't know what this stuff means and uh but I guess what I was gonna say is like a huge turning point in my own life was taking my own experiences seriously and like that's very vague but uh you know, just uh, actually a guy who helped me articulate that a lot was a couple years ago when Dr. Fagerberg gave the Pollock lecture mm. here at Mundelein. And he was talking about the notion of, um, like, he called it a romantic theology. And I think his line in it, um, I'm sure it's like somewhere the, the text is for that talk. But he said that if you try to, um, if you try to romanticize theology, like you're going to put people to sleep and talk about how cool theology is and all these cool ideas. If you try to romanticize that, you're going to like, people are just going to walk out on you. But if you theologize romance, like if you theologize 
their own human experience of like the loves and the heartaches and the heartbreaks and what lifts them up, what inspires them, what scares them. Like if you enter into that and then theologize that, like a God coming into that, that's what's going to set people like actually on fire. And I just remember when he said that, I was like, that, that is my experience. Um, even last weekend, I was at Mass on Sunday before I came back up here. And it's a, I mean, this is small, like, it wasn't my home parish, but another small, small rural parish. So I'm sitting in the back with my mom, and there's a couple of pews in front of us. There's these two little kids. They're probably like, I don't know, eight and five or, you know, eight and three. The, the one kid was pretty low. But they were obviously ready to, like, watch the Packers game. They had Aaron Rodgers jerseys on and Packers stocking caps and stuff. And, dude, this big brother was being, like, so good to his little brother. And his little brother was just wailing on him. And at one point in, like, a pretty – it might have even been the consecration or right after sometime, I was watching them because they were cracking me up. And the little brother just freaking smacked the big brother in the face, man. And uh, – I was like losing it, but it was like this really kind of like thin veil experience for me of like growing up. That was my experience of mass. That was like watching me and my brother at mass way more than like any type of mystical experience or whatever. And, uh, it was just this cool thing for me to see of like, God's like right there in that. Mm. So I don't know. It was just fun, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, speaking of kids, I um, I listened to this This American Life podcast the other day, and um, it was called Kid Logic. So it had all these funny stories of basically people who, uh, as children, had come to some kind of conclusion that made perfect sense in a kid's mind, but it just sort of missed like a key premise or whatever. So it was completely erroneous. So, like, the first example was um, (laughs) this little girl had, it was a grown woman telling the story of when her friend had come to school and said, I lost a tooth and I stayed up last night and I I found out who the real tooth fairy is. And and she said, who is it? And and she goes, it's my dad. Hmm. And then the little girl goes home that afternoon and says to her mom, Hey, mom, I found out today who the tooth fairy really is. And she said, oh, yeah, who is it? And she goes, it's Mr. Sullivan. <laughs> and so the mother said, you're right, but you have to keep it a secret. Okay? <laughs> and so she said, like, every time she went over to her friend's house and her dad came home from work, she was just in awe of him. She's like, my dad's this boring guy who just goes to work and comes home. But here, this guy, this guy does that but then at night has this like secret mission to go and give kids money for their teeth (laughs) (laughs) so anyways it was that was the sort of basic um premise of the episode but there was one near the end that really really struck me it was this uh woman who as a child had grown up kind of poor and her dad um at one point was i think unemployed for a little bit and it was around the holidays and and what she really wanted, she was like nine years old. Her older sister was 12. And what the little girl wanted was a bike and the older girl wanted a set of encyclopedias, both kind of expensive gifts. And 
it was a lean time and they didn't have a lot of money and they come down on Christmas morning and there's just two presents under the tree, one for each of them. And they're both the same exact size and they're not very big. And they open them up and there are these, uh, like, you know, those things you put over a Kleenex box to kind of cover them like a tissue case. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're these painted kind of tin tissue cases that are painted all black and then they have kind of like red and yellow roses painted on them and she said they're really ugly and kind of cheesy looking and the nine-year-old the narrator uh she said she started crying because she was so disappointed and her older sister leaned over to her and she said these are painted by trained monkeys and she's like all of a sudden she looked at the tissue box again and she's like are you serious what and Immediately, she stopped crying, and it became like one of her most prized possessions throughout her childhood, even into high school and college. She never questioned it. She believed that that tissue box was painted by monkeys, and that's why, like, nobody else had anything like that. You know, she thought she thought it was the coolest thing ever. Until she's like twenty years old, and she's cleaning stuff out of her room that she shared with her sister, and she finds this old journal that her sister had written like little short stories and stuff in there. And she finds a story called the story of the tissue box. And in it is basically the same story she had told, but from her sister's perspective, like the moment that uh, the little one starts crying, she looks around, she's, she sees these two tissue boxes. She looks around and she sees her mom is about to start crying too. And then she remembers that her father's friend paints these things for kind of a hobby. He, he does these like painted household objects. And so obviously the gift was like a charity thing and their parents hated taking charity. And so she just made up this lie to tell her little sister to make her feel better. I like that. This is, this is a special tissue box. It was painted by trained monkeys. And in the story, she says after, after her little sister calms down, she goes to her room and she cries uh, and she didn't really know why at the time. She's only 12 years old, but she, in retrospect, realizes that it's because she had volunteered in that moment to become a grown-up, you know, to sort of shield her little sister from the truth of things for her own sake, you know, to kind of like mythologize whatever was going on so that she wouldn't have to deal with the harsh truth of poverty or whatever else. Um, and I thought that was such a beautiful story. And only in retrospect did she really realize what her older sister had done for her because she'd always sort of seen her older sister as this cruel person. She lied to her once about how she swallowed an apple seed and now she's got an apple tree growing in her stomach and she's going to become this mutant and it's going to kill her. And so she, she always saw her sister as sort of a tormentor, but here she was able to see her as really caring for her. Um, so I don't know if that fits perfectly what you were saying about those two kids and sort of seeing yourself in them or or seeing, I don't know, the way that that God cares for us and and sort of makes us more mature through these experiences, like real experiences. And what you were said originally was taking your experiences seriously, you know, because you could sort of write that off as just sort of a thing that happened to you. But uh, you could also see that as God caring for you, you know, through people and Oh yeah, no. I, I I like even the very simple notion in that of I never really thought about that, but 
like reading about your own life through like another person's hand, like mm-hmm. how they would have experienced that. Um, like even that perspective is, um, I mean, there's a million different angles you could take with that. And so, yeah, I don't know, like, I guess a direct connection, but to me, like that was a very, yeah, like that's just a very beautiful story. And I guess the point of like those two kids that were just, you know, messing around in mass, I was like, that was, that was me, man. And like, honestly, you know, probably most people in there were, uh, not all of them, I mean, they were making a lot of people laugh, but you know, the stereotype of like, you know, some people are shooting like scolding looks at these kids to shape up in mass right. and pay attention. And it's like, man, like God's working through that, like through this little wrestling match that is ensuing right. in front of me. Like, that's exactly at mass is exactly where those two kids need to be right now. Oh yeah. Like, what would you rather they right. don't go to church? Yeah. Exa- I mean, it was just, it was just cool. Like I just saw myself in it. It was, I mean, it's just a cool, um, experience. You know, this might be a little cliche, but I always think, especially now as a priest, when I'm offering the mass at the consecration, if there are children crying, mm-hmm. I always picture the cross, like, you know, here's the sacrifice of the mass we're offering. And Jesus is there, his crucified flesh, crucified and risen flesh. But nevertheless, the sacrifice is represented. And of course, children would be crying, looking at a guy suffering and dying on a cross. You know, mm-hmm. we're on Calvary, like Father Boyle always said. And so I, I'm able to, it's easier for me to say, because it's the mothers and stuff that are embarrassed and are suffering the scolding looks of the fellow parishioners and stuff like that and having to deal with this rambunctious child. But to me, it's like a chorus of, oh God, it's such a relief to hear babies and, and young children in church rather than just the older generation that still, still thinks it's valuable, whereas the younger families are sort of disappearing. It's like there's life in this place, you know? Oh, yeah. It's a signal to me that that the church has a future and that it's alive. Yeah. It, there's some sort of a play that's going on between the objective truth that like God is transcendent over all things. So all things are within the providential hand of God. Like that's, that's kind of the point is he is there even with those two brothers during mass, like the ideal you would not say that that's the best experience of God. Like mm-hmm. two kids fighting is not going to bring you to the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, but being able to see yourself and other kids and maybe it's hopeful in some way of like, yeah, I was there and now like I'm here and um, I have a relationship with Christ and there's, there's a lot of hope that's present within that because it is so real and human. Well, yeah, the point is, is like, that's, that's the stuff that life is made out of. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, my sister, um, I, it's been awesome as she, her family is growing now. And I remember this was a couple of years ago, even before she maybe even had a, a third kid, but when she was just taking like her two kids to mass, um, I, I went with them some Sunday and the priest gave like a they have a great pastor and he gave a great like baller homily. I was pretty pumped about something he said. And we were driving back after mass and I was like, um, and my 
sister is honestly like a more devout Catholic than I am, frankly. <laughs> but, uh, and I was like, oh man, like that was such a cool connection or something like that by father. And she just kind of chuckled and she was like, yeah, um, I typically consider that if my kids don't burn down the church, that's, that's a good mass. So <laughs> like I didn't follow the homily too well yeah. today, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, just thinking about that, like, I can count on one hand the amount of homilies I remember from growing up, like all those masses we went to and everything like that. But like we were there and we were usually messing around and getting in some type of trouble and probably frustrating people. And I've been frustrated by people in the pews, but like that's the stuff that, yeah, life is made out of, I guess to me. And that's exactly where, um, I think like God's grace is most real. I guess maybe that was the point. And that whole story was like that, that little tiny shot that I saw that like made me chuckle. And it was like, that's it, man. It's not, it's not magic we're talking about here. Yeah. And, and the fact like you don't have to bemoan the fact that things are not, well, not even that they're not perfect is those little, you know, the things that life are made of, the skirmishes during Mass, are not things to be avoided. Right. It's a part of humanity, and and Christ has taken all of those things in, and all of those things are under, um, yeah, the guiding hand of God. So, like, when you say, take your experiences seriously, like, we have tons of those on a day-to-day basis that, yeah, can easily pass us by and, and oftentimes do, not that we have to analyze every aspect of our day, but within every single one of those moments, um, you don't have to sidestep, yeah, the things that are less than ideal or, yeah, even little joyful moments that may not seem immediately connected. Your experience of joy or peace or sadness, whatever, those are all in some way like the Lord is still present there. So to even take those little things seriously, I think was kind of how I took your point. Um, But what you said of... So when you were talking about the the guy who was talking on apologetics with the capital T truth, yeah, it made me think of the Pollock lecture from this year with the British guy. Yeah, yeah, and he was talking about the fact that doctrine is not devoid of a receiver; that mm-hmm. it doesn't float around in abstract space, but it's meant for for a subject. It's meant for a someone to receive it, and in that same way, truth itself, God, is not floating around like away from us, devoid of us. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we exist and that truth exists means that we are intended to receive him. And like when we say that the word is made flesh, that isn't just a pious phrase. But when you have an, an experience to get to that girl's question that we can take seriously, um, you live like the faith is made real within you. So now there are parts of me and my own heart that like the Lord is embracing permanently and forever because the word has made flesh it within me. And so the fact that like the idea of that, it's just never going to satisfy us. And so when you actually allow Christ to take root in you, um, that's a whole nother ballgame. I mean, that's that's the Christian life is letting him take root in every single part of your life and every part of your heart, um, which isn't outside of wrestling matches with your brother and, 
if we have time, I, I want to tell a funny story later of um, some work with the homeless that we did at uh, Christmas Eve with two of my younger siblings, which was a ridiculous event, ridiculous experience. But like the Lord is present in all of those things, the day to day, which is so much more beautiful. And it's way easier to be honest. Like you don't have to, you do have to set time aside, but the Lord works with all of those things playing cards at home with your family, eating a good meal, like the experience of God and his goodness of creation through a cup of coffee. Those are all legitimate experiences. I guess, yeah, it's like, I'm just more and more convinced that life is going to continue to be a pretty big mess most of the time. (laughs) Like, at least that's proven pretty dang consistent, like, in my own life. And I feel like, very very blessed to come from like the family and the structure and the support that I do so I'm not trying to say anything but it's still it's just like there, dude, there's always something that's like a real yeah. thing you yeah. know mm. um, always like you can't you can't get away from that yeah. like just like growing up now like the grace of yeah the funny moments with my brother growing up and also the grace of like getting freaking shoot out by my dad for beating up my little brother, yeah, you know, yeah. especially during mass growing up. <laughs> like it was part of it. Um, but even today it's like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a mess, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was watching a video the other day of this guy kind of diagnosing the millennial generation. And it was refreshing because it wasn't, just this put down of like, oh, these, this me generation that's so selfish and, um, the, you know, they got these participation trophies and they expect everybody to celebrate them even when they're not working hard or whatever. But he did, he was honest about the fact that, you know, people growing up now in this culture and with this technology and with this, sort of modus operandi of how we relate to one another, it does make it more challenging to really invest in sort of long-term goods in your life, like job fulfillment or depth of relationship. And he didn't say this, but a religious experience, religious uh, joy, you know, satisfaction, a relationship with God. And he said some of the factors, I can't remember all of them, but one was sort of like the, the parenting slash education model of like everybody's special everybody's life is, you know, destined to be amazing. You know, if you just choose, you know, choose the path, you can do anything if you put your mind to it sort of thing. And, uh, never, never sort of risk any sort of challenge to your self-esteem. So everybody gets to play on the basketball team and et cetera, et cetera. Coupled with sort of like the ability to sort of be instantly gratified especially now like where you can order things on Amazon and it gets there the next day and you can there's so many ways you can customize your life you know like we don't have to go to the blockbuster to get a movie anymore you can just sit on your couch and watch any movie you want uh, or listen to any music you want if you subscribe to these services and uh, and that sort of shortcut instant gratification um, thing translates into relationships through social media where uh, 
you know, you get more dopamine out of a like on your Instagram photo than you do from really investing in like the conversation with the person that you're that's in front of you. So that's why you see a lot of people our age out at dinner on their phones, like two or three people sitting at a table and all of them are on their phones, you know, uh, because there's this sort of addiction to that instant gratification or or that sort of superficial way of, of relating to one another because it's less risky and um, like even asking someone out on a date uh, doesn't really happen much anymore. It's more like texting or, God forbid, the apps, you know, Tinder and whatnot. And then the way that translates into and like, and I don't excuse myself from this. I don't, I don't cast aspersions on the millennial generation from outside of it because I'm part of it technically born in 85 and I grew up with this stuff not in the way that it is now but even AOL or what was it called AIM did you guys use that yep I, I felt like that already I was aware in junior high talking to people that I never would have talked to at school but because you have the shield of the computer screen it's less risky and you, you know you can you can formulate exactly what you're saying. You can delete things and, and edit it. it. It's not the same as like having a real conversation with a human being where you might look like an idiot. You might say something awkward or, or whatever. And then the way this translates in my life into like the job satisfaction thing is like we expect to just make an impact where we are. Like I've been here in this parish for three years and I feel like we have made an impact, me and the pastor, but... <clears throat> Uh, that's a daily source of angst for me, like that people still don't come to confession that often and mass attendance still, you know, there's tons and tons of people in town that are Catholic that don't come to mass. And, um, and you kind of like, maybe as part of this generation, we, we expect like, well, if I do this, if I work hard and do the right thing, then everything should go the way that I think it will go, you know, whereas I think older people, sort of recognize that you just sort of grind it out. Life is just this messy thing where you do your best and you try hard and you do good work and you're satisfied with it, but, you know, somebody else is going to take up the torch and maybe ruin it and whatever. Um, And so, like, in terms of the relationship with God thing, I think what you guys are saying, or at least what I hear you saying is... um, there's no there's no app for having a relationship for having an experience of God. There's no like um, automatic way of doing it, which challenges me because when I sit down to pray, I'm like, okay, I've been here for 20 minutes. Uh, where are you, God? You know. Um, but in, in in reality, I think like even watching that movie we talked about last time, The Manchester by the Sea, like there was no one experience of death and suffering and and the lived reality of human life with its all its agony and all its joy and love and pain that I could point to as to why that movie affected me so much. But I just had a deeper reservoir of experience having lived a life for 31 years, been a priest for the last three, and just like engaged people and been in people's lives and made connections. And um, that like that's the, the long work of life it gives you more access to the truth of the cosmos and, and God and uh, can you can have a more deep experience because you've lived honestly. And I'm still plagued by the, like I still just can't stop looking at my phone uh, when I'm bored or when I am waiting in line or um, like somebody stands up to go to the bathroom when you're out to dinner and 
Like we just, we want to go to like, what's my, you know, immediate feel good right now and not put up with the darkness or the, the dryness of even human relationships, much less a relationship with God. And so this isn't just me saying like, tough it out and grow a thicker skin, millennials. It's, but it is a challenge, I think, to, to be able to see those things, you know, as more than just an inconvenient, you know, why you could see God and two kids fighting in mass rather than just a distraction from what you think should be the experience at mass where, you know, these kids are ruining my peace, you know, which I'm sure there were some people in mass that felt that way that day. Um, rather than just being to, able to accept reality for what it is and just keep going, you know, does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it really, yeah, it does. I was, yeah, it, it did. It was very good, but I was like laughing to myself cause you said something to the effect of the old instant messenger, uh, of like you could delete stuff, which I was kind of. Mm-hmm like early in that phenomenon, maybe letters, I guess. But I don't know about you guys. I have gotten into a couple pickles in my day via the old text message yes. misread. Have you ever had that happen to oh, you? Yeah. This is totally off topic. Yeah, yeah. But it just spurred me to think about that. <laughs> and I was like, proofreading it is not foolproof. No, dude. it isn't. And uh, <laughs> there were a couple that I'm not going to say over the podcast, but they were dandies, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some sticky situations. Right yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, that is the thing about the text message. It does feel safer, uh-huh. but the lack of nuance can make it very risky. Ooh. Yeah. No, I was talking on my phone the whole time that you were talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was... Yeah. No, I just... Uh, it's It's very true. It's very true. And the whole instant gratification piece, I think people have become aware of it. Um, that, you know, it's obviously a reality that we live in, which, of course, I I super struggle with. Um, and even the YouTube vortex, the infamous mm-hmm. YouTube vortex. Mm-hmm. You know, like the other night, I was clearly stuck in one. Somehow got on... <laughs> um, America's Got Talent, Funniest Auditions. Dang. I got into one the other day about cults i was really fascinated about <laughs> like the heaven's gate cult and jim jones and stuff and it, it, like three hours later you're, you know you've watched two documentaries on youtube and you're like, no i have to go outside now yeah <clears throat> yeah no absolutely and i'm sitting there in this vortex the quicksand of youtube is engulfing me and there's a book right next to me that i want to read and uh-huh. like, i'm actually fascinated with but it's gonna take effort and i'm only going to make it through like 20 pages and it's not going to be as easy and enjoyable as sitting there jamming on some youtube um yeah i i can't remember how the instant gratification piece connected oh yeah just with the experience with god yeah no that's very very true um something like i mean perseverance yeah but at the same time, like the Lord is the one that's also good to remember is that he is the one who initiates all of all of all prayer. All experiences with him are first begun by him. He's the one who comes to us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all in his terms, which yeah. is what's maddening about it, because you're then like, OK, then what am I supposed to do? Yeah, it is incredibly frustrating. Um, but I mean, just giving him like those giving him the freedom within ourselves to say like, yeah, I want to give this to you. 
And for some reason, you've put it on my heart to want to be with you. And so I think one acknowledging the desire is a huge consolation in and of itself that you that's not a fabrication from ourselves, that God has put that there first, which means he's already reaching out to us, that the, even the fact that we desire to be in relationship with him means he's already there. Relax. Um, it just made me think, uh, we just got out of that lecture about like all the slides from the Holy Land, which we fly to on Friday. And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I even look, I'm super pumped, but like looking at the pictures today, it was weird. It was like a weird experience for me of, you know, there was a couple like pictures Dr. Nagel showed us of like, you know, certain walls or this thing or that thing. It's like this piece of the wall is like first century, but like this piece of the wall, like would have been New Testament times. Like this would, like Jesus could have sat on this wall, you know, and uh, I literally like, kind of to stop and think about that a couple of times but then probably 90 percent of the time i was just looking at these pictures and it's just stuff like it's rocks and it's mm-hmm. it's desert but it's also like beautiful country and like it's very beautiful spots but you know it's like looking at somewhere to just go and see you know and uh i don't know i guess that's like over break i thought a lot about the holy land coming up and uh i i really can say like i don't I've never ever seen like that part of the world at all or like I nothing that close to it. So I don't have like a picture in my mind of what to expect necessarily or whatever, but um I don't know. Like the ordinariness of it is what I'm looking forward to the most. And I was just like your story of just how like simple and ordinary that grace was like from your family, how it can impact you in that. And uh, I was thinking of, yeah, next week we'll be in the Holy Land, but it's also just, you know, breathing the same air, like rocks and dirt, and that's it, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a uh, a phrase when Blaha was over in the Holy Land, somebody coined for, uh, because it, you start running out of things to see. When you're over there, you see like the big things and, you know, the church where Mary was living when the angel came, the the church of the Annunciation, and you go to Galilee and the Beatitudes, you go to Jerusalem, but then you start going going out on on the edges and starting to see like, okay, this is probably where Samuel was or whatever. And the phrase was Afpar, another effing pile of ancient rubble. It's like, oh, what is this? Oh, that's uh, that's Afpar. It's a very famous, famous location in the Holy Land. Um, but yeah, it is. It's very ordinary. There's two things about the Holy Land. There's the there's the history of it because Christ walked there and talked there and lived there and died there, and you do feel a certain connection. You also feel a connection to the saints, all the saints that have gone to the Holy Land. Right. Like Saint Ignatius of Loyola, it was a huge part of his story. Um, and there was one thing in the Holy Land that nobody goes to that I really wanted to go to because it was, it was part of St. Ignatius's story, which is the, um, Mount of the Ascension. There's a, there's sort of an apocryphal site where in the stone, there are two things that look like footprints, which is supposedly where Jesus was standing when he ascended into heaven. Hmm. And, uh, now it's sort of kind of acknowledged that that's not the case. And it was sort of a charlatan thing, but St. Ignatius 
was being ordered like you have to leave the holy land this is dangerous um you know your life is under threat because of these people that are not wanting christians here and he snuck away from his band of pilgrims to go one last time to to touch and to kiss the place where christ's feet were when he ascended into heaven Hmm. and so i i really wanted to see that place because that's where saint ignatius had gone and me and like two other guys went and found it and it was it was cool, man. I mean, it doesn't really even look like footprints, but you you just know that this is the spot St. Ignatius of Loyola ran back to to kiss one more time before he went back to Europe. So you hmm. feel this profound connection to Christ and to all the saints and everybody who's ever visited that place. But then the second thing is the current hmm. culture, like the current messiness of what's going on there. Um, you know, especially in these days, a lot of arguments and conflict over state of Israel and, and whatnot. It's just a, it's just fascinating, not to sound glib because, you know, it's a, there's a lot of people with a lot of stake in what goes on there, but we don't really, and I mean, you read about it in the newspaper, but you're never there to really see what it's like. And I, I found it to be fascinating that the, all the different cultures and uh, how passionately religious people are there, even if they're not particularly religious, they're you know, by God, I'm a Muslim or by God, I'm a Jew or I'm a Christian, you know, even if they aren't that religious, they, they, um, are not afraid to say, like identify very closely with their religious tradition because it's part of who they are. Um, and walking through the Muslim quarter where a lot of the stations of the cross are and thinking, you know, this is probably what it was like when Christ was walking the Via Crucis to to his death just people buying and selling things and yelling and uh, you know another crucified criminal uh, yeah just another criminal man you know so like you really get a sense of the ordinariness of it all too so yeah there, there's i don't know i i found it there, there were a lot of people that were ready to come home but i could have stayed there another year just to mm. just to soak it all in yeah so, it's I, I don't know if I've ever uh, said this, and this is a weird like desire of mine there, but um, and I, I don't think it's gonna like we're not gonna hear it when we're we're there. But when Father, I don't tell me if I've said this on the podcast before, but when Father Norris was here our first year, he told me one time that there's still places in the world that you can in theory, like you would go to and they still speak the same dialect of, um, is it, would it be Aramaic? Is that what Jesus would have spoken? Yeah. Um, but supposedly there's still communities in the world that speak the same dialect as the Holy family. And he he was saying like, it would, it's kind of like a bucket list thing for him is to go and just, even if you don't speak it, just to hear it. And, uh, and so I actually emailed him like a month ago seeing if there was a you know spot like yeah we could like make a little trip to or a side trip or whatever but unfortunately he emailed back and he said the only uh communities left that speak that dialect are in Syria so that's uh, probably not going to happen not be probably going, not going yeah. there <laughs> we've we were actually just talking about that before yeah. the podcast is we need to make sure not end up in Syria at all um <laughs> but yeah. even just that notion was like just super cool i mean to think about like you could go and hear um, the dialect that they spoke, like what it would have sounded like to hear the Holy Family. Um, hear what Mary sounded like when she talked to Jesus. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, what did they talk about at dinner? Um, you know, just, you know, what, yeah, what did it, what did it sound like when they would talk to each other? But I don't know. I was just thinking about that when you were um, talking of just like the experience of being there, just seeing it, and I mean, it would be very cool. But did I ever um, tell you the story when I was walking with Abbott Vincent? We were walking on some trail to where supposedly david had hid from saul under this waterfall it's oh, a little we saw that picture today we saw the picture next but... to the dead sea yeah i think it's close to there anyway it's a kind of a nature trail you can walk on and i was walking with abbot vincent and um we were walking and talking and behind us we heard this little boy crying out and he was saying abba 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 and we turned around and he was like calling to his dad he was trying to catch up to his dad and he was actually using the word abba huh. and him being an abbot and us knowing you know jesus saying is it he, he says abba father right in the agony in the garden right to mm-hmm. god the father that like all of a sudden it just makes it enfleshed in front of you a little kid crying out for his dad it's like daddy you know abba abba so, the, yeah, there's these little things that you don't expect. Sometimes those are, those are the best little revelations you see yeah. in the flesh. What a lot of the Bible just comes to life, man. Even the Old Testament starts making more sense because you, you get a sense of where everything is and how far they would have had to walk and stuff. Like the Holy Family to get to Bethlehem. Even Mary to get to where Elizabeth was uh, in sort of like the hill country outside of Jerusalem from nazareth is a hall i mean it took a long time in a car to get from from galilee to to judea so you start to get i think that's why people sponsor it and when think it's valuable for to have priests having had that experience in seminary to really know jesus a little bit more but there's also the temptation i found Maybe this can be a special long episode because you guys are going to be gone for a while. Um, do you do you have to get going soon? No, I probably fifteen minutes or so. Sure, this, yeah. will, this it could be the last thing. Yep. Uh, I found that uh, t- one of my temptations over there was to want, and this goes back to the whole religious experience point. Like we had to give reflections of the different holy sites, and the one I was assigned was Mount Tabor, Mount of the Transfiguration, and I remember going to Mount Tabor. And in preparation for it, wanting to, wanting basically to be at the transfiguration, I wanted to feel exactly this, you know, what Peter and James and John felt that day. I wanted to like be able to put my hands in their footprints and, and like feel connected to that event, you know, because here I am in the same place that it happened where Jesus, you know, became dazzling white and they saw Elijah and Moses. And what was that all about? I want to feel that or I want to experience it. But, you also know that you're not going to, you know, you're just going to this old AFPAR, basically. And it's there's not really that, I mean, it is just earth, you know, at the end of the day. But there's a church on top of the mountain that's very beautiful. And that's where we had mass and I gave this little reflection. And um, I think that um, ultimately what... There's a wisdom in what they've done over there. Like, I think if we had our druthers, sort of modern Western people, we would have museums on these holy sites. We would, we would like preserve everything that's from that era, you know, even if it was ugly, even if it was decayed and, 
and old. We we just want to see like the real thing. What was the rock that Jesus actually stepped on? What you know, what was the you know cloak that he was actually wearing? And we do we do venerate those kind of things like the um you know relics of the true cross and things like that. But I I just found that the the like ancient and medieval Christians were much more concerned with building big churches on these places, not museums. And I I always took that to be like an expression of gratitude and not trying to like hold on to some experience or not trying to recreate something from the past, but to give thanks for something grand that occurred here. Uh, and that is why pilgrims go to those places, not to not to recreate the past or not to somehow hold on to something and, and all the souvenir stuff. It's also important, like people, you know, take some dirt from the Holy Land and take it home or some water from the River Jordan. But ultimately, it's just dirt and it's just water. But what you can do when you go there is to like recognize that God entered history in this place, that something fantastic and unbelievable but real occurred in this exact spot. Even though the water from the River Jordan has flowed out into the sea umpteen times and been evaporated and rained down from new clouds, even though the earth is not in the same spot it was in the cosmos as it was at the time, like everything has changed, everything is in flux, but there's something about just being in that place and giving thanks to God uh, with the same hills and mountains and, and rivers and lakes that Jesus would have seen, that Peter would have seen, that makes it more real. You make, it makes your gratitude deeper without having to grasp at some kind of experience that you expect. Like you, you can let go of some of your expectations when you see it that way. Um, you build like churches instead of museums. You, you give thanks rather than uh, try to hold on to, to some way you expect things to have gone or the way you, you would rather have it, you know. So that's a just a piece of unsolicited advice, but a reflection I had while I was over there. It's a beautiful place. Some people hate it. Some people think it's ugly, but I found it nice. I think I'm most excited for the Church of the Annunciation, where I've heard that they have an altar that's inscribed um, verbum factum est hic, which is like the word made yeah. flesh. You're here, yeah. right in this in this. Woo, that's pretty cool. It's yeah. just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any more real than that. Like, hey, in this place where you're standing, that's where it happened. That's Gosh, just, it's remarkable. I I was pretty blown away today by the pictures of how mm. beautiful some of the places yeah. are. But in the same region, like you travel 50 miles south in desert. Mm-hmm. Desert. She said, Dr. Nagel today told us that it has almost every, what did she, what did she say? Almost every, not ecosystem. Um, Biome? No, climate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, climate. maybe like ecosystem. ecosystem? Cli- yeah, like it's got tropical. It's yeah. got, yeah, it's got. E- except for the Antarctic and Everglades. the Everglades. Yeah. yeah. And it's, she said it was 120 miles long, maybe, and 70 miles wide at its widest. Um, it's the or, promised land. It's the land of milk and honey. That's not a ton of land. And to have both mountains with snow and deserts within mm-hmm. the same country is, that's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'm very excited. There, there's both beauty and like treachery there. The 
some very lush green places. Galilee is looked beautiful and everyone that I've talked to says it's just very, very, very beautiful. And then you travel south a little ways and there's nothing. They're stoked about rocks. Like that's the big deal. <laughs> Let's get yeah. excited about rocks. Well, there could be Dead Sea Scrolls and them rocks. Yeah, that's true. So, so do you think that it's worth taking the P-casting stuff? Do you think it's Obviously, like... Obviously, dude. <laughs> I shouldn't how, have how hard, yeah, how hard is it to take? It's, a, it's pretty small, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we can do it. I, yeah, yeah I, think. I think we can do it. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.